Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Um, my name is Julie, and this is Isabel. And um, like we said, we're here for um, Melini today, but also because this is something that we are um, really passionate about um, and have on our hearts. And just before we start the seminar, can I just ask that you take the time to really open up your hearts? Do you know there was something um, whenever you saw what this was about that, that grasped your spirit, that grasped your heart to go, I want to find out more what is about there. I want to know actually what the deal is with this. And can I just ask that you take the time now to just be open, to allow God to work in you to maybe allow him to prod parts where he wants you to explore and, and just to be open to that. Um, I volunteer for Home for Good and I'm really passionate about um, vulnerable children um, and young people in Northern Ireland and we are, have close to, it's 2,984 children um, or young people that are in care um, in Northern Ireland um, and we are in need of 200 more um, foster cares and this is something that God is really passionate about because he loves all his children dearly and his heart is for them to know that they are of value and that they are of worth and what the exciting part is that he asks us to somehow play a part in this in his redemptive work and when it's such a privilege to be able to do that so in the just throughout this seminar and um, we're going to be hearing of personal stories from foster carers we're going to be hearing a wee bit more about the statistics in northern ireland and we're going to be just taking that chance to have any questions that you may have um, about anything that we're going to be sharing about. And we're going to have that opportunity um, at the end to, to be able to do that. Um, so thank you very much for coming along. Um, yeah, I would just like to introduce um, Isabel. And Isabel is going to come and hopefully the video will work at some point really soon. Yeah, so good when technology works. <laughs> um, but first of all, I'm going to pass it over to, to Isabel. Okay, so this morning I'm going to give you some of the statistics on currently what's happening in Northern Ireland because I think that's a good bedrock for us to see what the need truly is. Last year, 848 children entered the Northern Ireland care system. We reckon that's on average 70 children per month come into care in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, there are 3,100 children classified as looked after, and many of these children have suffered abuse and neglect and all have experienced the trauma of loss and separation. Around 80% of looked after children live in foster care, but there's currently a shortage in foster carers with the right skills and the right locations who can meet all their needs. It's estimated that fostering services in Northern Ireland need to recruit, as Julie was saying, 200 new foster carers this year, particularly for sibling groups and teenagers and children with disabilities. I'm just going to stop there and give you a short story that I heard this week from a special needs teacher. And it was a God moment because I didn't expect to see her and I met with her many years ago. She told me that in her school, there's been a massive spike in children with ASD conditions. In fact, out of the seven classes, five of them are completely ASD. Now, this is the sad fact that she told me. Very few children's parents are together. And one of the main reasons for that is that they are exhausted with the care. You see, if they split and if they have two houses, they are fresher to share the care and take that child in. 
And that is because there's so little respite care for those carers. And this would also be included in what we're asking for today. So if you want to keep marriages together, this is so, so important. Um, Around 11% of children go on to be adopted, but they wait an average of three years and two months from the point of entering care to being adopted. And most of these children are over the age of four and are part of sibling groups. And as I mentioned earlier, many of them have additional and health needs. Home for Good is a Christian organization And we as a church need to step up and take responsibility for caring for these children and for their carers. In James chapter 1 verse 27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This week, the hot topic here has been about life. And in Northern Ireland, as the possibility of reform to our our abortion law looms, We need to be prepared to care for the children of single mums who have made that courageous choice to keep their baby. This happened to us with our first child. We fostered him for just three and a half months. And that afforded the social services time to work with mum. It also gave the doctors time to help her in her mental health because she came from a background where she was also abused. He went home very successfully and we have all remained close friends we've even spent christmas together they go on holiday in our caravan and we absolutely love them all you know we as a church need to step up and care for those vulnerable children if we advocate for them from conception a responsibility it is therefore responsibility to advocate throughout their lives i'm going to show you a video now if it works hopefully and we're going to let you see it i think you need to look at it as well through the eyes of what god is doing here this week tim chester last night spoke about luke chapter 7 and a meal and i want you to have a look at this and just think through what god has been touching your heart with this week I've written most of my book, God is Stranger, around this kitchen table. Around this table, tears have been shed, jokes have been told, arguments have been provoked and resolved. 
announcements have been made and significant occasions have been celebrated. Around this table, acquaintances have become friends and strangers have become family. It may hold a feast for all or a single plate of toast and butter, but three times a day, without fail, it serves to unite whoever happens to be in the house at the time and can squeeze around this fixed point of conversion. It is a faithful table, a precious place of shared sustenance and transformation, a symbol of God's hospitality to us. There are so many stories in the Bible showing the importance of radical hospitality and people sharing their food, their table and their lives with strangers. And sometimes that stranger has turned out to be God. Jesus even says when we serve others, we're serving him. There are thousands of children in need of this life-giving hospitality and generosity that God has called us to. We're inviting you to consider this calling, to open up your table, your home, your heart, your life to a vulnerable child in need, which is a hard thing to do. It's a countercultural thing for us to do. It's a radical thing for us to do. When we open up our lives to radical generosity, when we welcome as we are welcomed, we're opening up our lives to more of the fullness of God. You might think that fostering or adoption isn't something you're called to do, but I just ask you to consider it. And if it isn't, well, there's still plenty of things for us to do to play our part in showing that radical hospitality to vulnerable children. We can come together as a church, as a family, and open up our lives uh, to extend the welcome and family and support that these children need. Who is in your family? Who is at your table? What radical acts of hospitality can you say yes to? Who will you say yes to? Who could be at your table? And just to pick up what Chris was saying there um, about there's something special about the table and about that meal and about welcoming um, the stranger in. And for me, um, I, I started doing respite fostering for the Belfast Trust um, seven years ago. Um, and it all started for me whenever I got the opportunity to go to Uganda. Um, and anybody that's ever been on a mission trip will maybe understand how much it can just mess you up. It can just get inside your head, change your perspective, really shake you, shake the core of who you are. And during that time, I got to meet my sponsor child, beautiful Brenda. And I came home and I was absolutely adamant that I was adopting Brenda. I was like, that is it. I don't know who I have to speak to, how many phone calls I have to make. I am adopting this child. And once I calmed down, (laughs) I realized that actually that there's children um, and there's vulnerable children on my doorstep that I can do something about. And I just simply allowed that niggling pain that was going on inside me. I allowed what was breaking me to begin to shape me and say, okay, well, what is it I can do with where I am, with what I have and with who I am? What, what is it that I can do? And Generally, it generally takes, that probably took about two years for me to be able to answer that question. And it took many a conversation and many of us seeing a movie or a snippet about adoption or a billboard saying, can you foster? Many of those drips, drip, drip effect before I thought, okay, is there something here that I can do? Is there something that's going on that I can really answer? But who can I say yes to inviting around my table? And the two main reasons that was holding me back and the two main things I thought was, A, I'm single, I do it as a single care, and therefore I have no experience or have no understanding of what it is like to raise a child. 
let alone a traumatized child. So I can't do it. I am not enough. That was the first weave of doubt that I had to then journey through and go with. And Foster Network gave a statistic that said 66% of foster carers don't do it, didn't do it because they thought that they couldn't. And there's something in that. There's something in the doubt within us that think we can't do this. And it took me to come to myself to go, actually, if I'm opening the door here and if I'm saying the yes, I have a God who is faithful that will be there to provide my needs that will be there to provide my practical needs, that will be there to provide my emotional needs, and will have the support that I need. So I'm going to say yes to this, and I'm going to step forward. The second thing that was really holding me back was thinking, what if I love a child so much, and they become so embedded in me, and I give my heart away so much so, and then they walk away, and it really hurts me, and it breaks me. What if I love them so much, and this really hurts And Jason Johnson um, said that we shouldn't let the fear of a child that um, may low love and hurt us from keeping us away. Instead, we may have the the drive, the the fear. That's not it. Hold on. I need to tell you this because it's really good. (laughs) I've messed it up. I had it down. Two seconds. I'm going to get it for you. Yes, may never let the, the, the fear of a child that may never know love um, break me. Instead, I may let the, the drive of a child that will never know love drive me into opening that door to allow him to come and sit by my table. And I thought, it's not actually about what it is that's going to break me. My fear should be that there's a child out there that is never actually going to maybe understand what it is to be fully loved or feel worthy of love or know what it is. That su- seems to supersede everything else. Every wonderful excuse I brought before God about, oh, what if they mess up my apartment? or what if there's a behavior that I don't understand or what if this, what about that? All the excuses that I kind of brought before God and just the fact that a child may never know love um, just seems to supersede it all. And to be rooted in the fact that God says in Psalm 68 that he sets the lonely in family. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of the widows and he sets the lonely in family. What better way for a child to know what that is than than the blueprint that God has as us as a family? And so I began to um, explore what that looked like for me. And I've been respite fostering for for seven years now. Um, So I had a girl that was with me um, and she was 10 whenever she first came. And she is now 16. So she's been with me for six years. So she is very much um, a part of our family. I have never learned so much about the love of God than whenever a child walks through my home or through this fostering experience. Nothing has taught me more about how much he ferociously loves us and loves these children and how gracious he is to let us somehow play a part in showing that love to the brokenness. And it can be really tough and it's really hard. And I'm not standing up here saying it's all rose-tinted and and not at all. It's the opposite. It's really hard. Um, and that you get really emotional about things. Um, and I'm not a naturally maternal person. Anyone that would know me would tell you that. But I just couldn't let that kind of sit with me, knowing that this was happening in, the, in, our, in our community. It can be really tough. There can be decisions that are made that you don't fully understand. There can be that waiting process, which just feels like forever whenever you have decisions looming over your head. And then it can maybe be result in something that you think doesn't make any sense. And it has to be about letting the sovereignty of God 
be our sanity that is the foundation that gets us through it somehow and to understand that he reigns over all decisions that kind of come and even though we may not agree with them and maybe they're really tough for us and just know that his sovereign hand um, isn't at all so it can be really tough and it can be really hard and I could never have done this without my family support and without my church family so if you're sitting here today and you're thinking fostering or adoption isn't for us at the time but there's something I want to do to be able to help there is loads that you can do I couldn't I couldn't have been still doing this seven years down the line if it wasn't the fact of the phone calls that you get I used to call them my Friday phone calls of can you take a child this weekend and I go yes and then I hang up and then the next person I phone is my friend and sister and go okay do you have a do you have a crib do you have a doll do you have a this do you have a that it's all the listen needs and to know that that is there by the time that I arrive at my front door just means the absolute world they are my rock that gets me through and so if that is something that even you're considering about please know that it's not you're not a just you're not on the sideline you're very much in the center um, of what this is um, for for a child's life Um, so would I encourage anyone to do it absolutely nothing um, that I have done like I said has taught me more about um, the love of God um, and I completely love it and what I love the most about it is that it always brings me to the end of myself that I'm always at that point of do you know whenever you do things my background is a counsellor and do you know the way sometimes you think okay well you know what your strengths are you know what your skill sets are and you're able to kind of work through things um, but see whenever you get to that point where you're like this is so out of my depth I have no clue what I'm doing I have no clue how to manage this behavior I have absolutely no idea of how I'm going to handle it God I need you that has been my prayer my prayer life has all of a sudden changed um, and it has been God you need to show me what to do you need to show me how to love you need to show me how to love hard and to love well in circumstances that are actually really tough and really challenging um, and it's just really lovely that again we get to somehow be a part of the, the beautiful grace that kind of takes us takes us through this um, and it's that obedience um, God is so faithful to us whenever we we are obedient to him um, in, in stepping out through it all. Um, so does respite fostering and it's not just respite fostering which is what I kind of um, used to have in my language and I've some been challenged on because in actual fact as Isabel said it can hold a placement together and um, it can be something that can hold a family together it can ensure siblings stay together and it plays its part in actually changing the trajectory of a child or a family's life so it's not just respite fostering it's a crucial part of the backbone um, in the in the restorative life of all this um, so I've been doing it for seven years and I've absolutely loved it. And I'm now going to hand over to Isabel and she's going to come and share um, her story of what fostering um, and adoption looks like in her life. Okay, so I'm going to introduce a little bit about my family. So I'm married to William and uh, we have two birth children. James is now 16 and Karis is 13. And really, our story began with the comment which Karis made, which I forgot to flick on there, which was, um, if we don't love them, who's going to love them? And that was one night at dinner. And what had happened was Karis was six, James was nine. And we were just sitting eating dinner. And they, they asked us out of the blue, can we not foster? And we looked at them. We was, well, what is fostering? Do you know what it is? They'd watched the program Tracy Baker, and if any of your parents will nod and know what it is, and it's based in a children's home. And they just could see that these children were not in a family home. 
And so we asked them a little bit more about it. We actually told them the cruel reality because I come from a teaching background and I said, listen, imagine the worst kid in your class, the one that really annoys you, the one that kicks you, hurts you and pinches your brake. And we're going to bring them home because these kids are traumatized and they've had to fight for everything. And this is what it could be like. And Karis looked me in the eye and went, Mom, if we don't love them, who's going to love them? We went that summer on holiday. We actually um, went to see my hubby has very few cousins living here in Northern Ireland. And we went to California. And when we were there, we stayed with a friend of mine that I met through Youth for Christ when I was really young. And she had gone on to adopt two children. One of them was very, very traumatized. And I'm telling you this story because I want you, if you're a parent, to listen to your children if they ask you to do this. Because that little girl who came from a dreadful background, whose mum took drugs and everything, just horrible. Um, she took Karis's head at one stage without playing in the backyard. And she grabbed Karis by the back of the scruff of the hair. And Karis was seven at this stage. And she banged her head off the tarmac. And Karis came in and she had a fringe at the time. And she sort of was like this. And my friend Laura was with us. And I knew something was really annoying her. And I took Karis aside and I said, looked at her in the eye and I said, Pet, what's happened? And she sort of pulled me away. And she lifted her fringe and the, the stones of the tarmac were embedded in her head. And I filled up. I was like, what happened to you? And she told me. And I said, Karis, Pet, this is what it could be like if we get a very traumatized child. And she said, Mommy, my wounds will heal. She had the heart of God in her. She had the Holy Spirit working in her. And I have to say, my kids have never once told us to send those kids back. No matter what they've taken, because they know those kids are valuable to God. And it really humbled us as parents. Now, as parents, we were also on a journey. We had looked into adoption after we had our son because I have orthopedic problems and we thought we weren't going to have number two. And then that door was closed very quickly and very tightly by God when I found out I needed an amputation of a lower left leg. And at that point, it was really hard, my life, because I wanted more children. I only had one. But yet God was shutting this door to adoption. I went to the final clinic before I had the amputation. And the consultant said to me, now, have you finished your family before we do this? And I filled up. And I said, well, I'd love more children. I have back problems, explained what had happened with the first pregnancy. And he said, stand up there, my dear. I'll be the judge of that. And he ran his thumb down my spine and he said, your, your back will take one more pregnancy. And that's it. So away you go. I was pregnant within a month. So God was in it. And I had a fantastic pregnancy because my little baby lay transverse. And God was in it. And we thought, God, why are you doing this? Whenever you're giving us a heart for adoption and for needy children, why are you doing this to us? We had Karis, as I say. Then she came up with that comment and it hadn't left our hearts. So when she said, who's going to love them? William and I thought, we will. But we wanted a little bit more. You see, when most people start to think of fostering or adoption, it can take them quite a few years just to process, to think it through. And that's not a bad thing in itself. It's up to God and his timing after all. And he has the perfect plan for our lives. And so when that was said, William opened the scriptures the next morning and he was just reading his Bible. 
And he got very clear scriptural confirmation and shared it with me that this was the time, this was right for us. And my heart was already tugging because I had taught a child in school who had, was just so confused and so disturbed. He'd been taken into a foster home and his life had been changed. So lots of things were adding up. So we, start, we went and we contacted social services. We fostered through the Southern Trust. And so we went to social services and asked them uh, where we went next with this. They sent out a social worker. And then we began a course called a Skills to Foster course. And that is a really good course. And it's, uh, it teaches you so much about what you are getting into and what it, it, how it's going to affect, affect your life. We did that, and then we went through uh, just the whole writing the report. It's very, very detailed. But the way William and I looked at it is, we wouldn't want any Joe blogs to foster or adopt. We want these kids to be cared for well. So although it may seem intrusive, we saw it as, come on into our lives. Let us tell you who we are. And we did not hide our faith. We stood up and we told them, everything about our faith and what God had done in our lives. And God was in it. Our social worker was a Christian. And God has been in it every step of the way. And now we don't have a social worker who's a Christian, but it's just such a good opportunity to show Jesus in our family and in how we treat her. So we got through panel. We had our first little boy, which I've told you about. He returned home to mum. And then we got a phone call to see would we take siblings. I'd always imagined that James would be the eldest. But on this occasion, the little girl was going to be five months older than James. And she was 12 years old. Now, I hadn't done the teenage thing. Oh, and I was a primary school teacher. I'm not qualified to look after teenagers. And it scared the life out of me. I thought, what? Where are you taking us here, God? This is crazy. And also she had a brother and they were in two separate foster homes because it's so hard to find foster carers who will take sibling groups. And I couldn't imagine my two children not being together. So I asked a few questions, but we only had one bedroom. And they said, no, that's not a problem. So I had to go to Karis again. And I said, um, Karis, do you think you could share your bedroom? And Karis was just like, oh, could I share it? I hate sleeping on my own. I've always hated sleeping on my own. That's brilliant. The two girls have bunk beds. They are really good mates. They're like sisters. The children have been with us four years now. And they argue and they fight and they share makeup and they share clothes. And they dirty the house. They are so dirty. And we call our foster daughter the wee mucker because she truly is the muckiest kid I've ever came across, and we adore her. Um, So what's it like to live with a traumatized child? When the children arrived with us, there was no hugging. I had this image like the Waltons. These children would come back together, and they'd embrace, and they'd go, thank you, Isabel, thank you so much for giving us a home. It's total rubbish. They looked at each other disdainfully, and it took a year before they hugged. And if you knew their background, you'd know why it took a year. But do you see when they hugged in Ballycastle for the first time? I, I cried. <laughs> it's so abnormal not to see your children put an arm around each other. And we lived a year like that, where they really didn't want to know each other. Um, they didn't laugh out loud, particularly the little boy. Never laughed. Now, you know what it's like whenever you hear a toddler and they give a really good belly laugh. It makes you laugh. This child would smile, but he would never laugh. 
that took over two years before he laughed out loud. And it's, it just seems so strange when you're living with that, because my husband's in Egypt, so it really did seem strange. Um, they eat everything. Now, this isn't every child. Let me just point that out. This is just the children we had, but there are some similarities in other people's stories. Eat everything because they don't know where the next bite's coming from. So our little boy didn't tell me he didn't like tomatoes for a year. And when he told me he didn't like tomatoes, I ran around the table and hugged him. And normally, whenever the kids don't say they don't like something, I'll go, you're getting it anyway. But on that occasion, I hugged him. And I said, thank you so much for telling me that. You'll never get tomatoes again. Um, There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of shouting. They needed to regain some control. They've lost everything. And that was very, very hard. And it was thanks to our support group, our Home for Good support group, that another person there was able to put me in contact with a Christian counsellor. I phoned the GP, who was definitely not a Christian. We've had conversations, and he's a family friend. And he agreed to it. So God was in that as well. He agreed to it. And she went to a Christian counsellor. And then I was able to sit in on some of those sessions. And we were able to walk that journey with her. One of her fears that she shared with me one time was, I'm scared I'm going to become like mum. And mum was one of the abusers. And she was a very angry lady. And so we had to to go with her and go through that. And honestly, she is the most delightful girl. She still gets cross at Karis, like from time to time, but she's just wonderful. Um, Grieving, deep, deep grief. One time I asked our little girl, Victoria, you know, Tori, what is it like to be plucked from your home? It was actually a video which Home for Good made. And they showed at a a service one time that Chris was speaking at. And when we walked out, Victoria said it's really like that and it was brutal in how they are plucked out of that home and they grieve, they actually even grieve for the abuser because that's all they know. They grieve for uncles and aunties, they've no granny, they've no granda, it's all taken away. Now each situation is different so they may have contact and that's a different story altogether but on our occasion they were plucked out. And that was a very deep grief. And you have to give them time. They don't just walk into your house and suddenly it's all going to be lovely and you're always trying to make them smile. They need to go through that grief. And that's hard. So you have to be there to put your arm around them, to rub their back. And even at the beginning, you might just put a hand on their shoulder and they bristle. But you have to be patient and praying the whole way through. And finally, they blame themselves so often. It was my fault. It was my bad behavior. This is why this happened to me. And that's a very difficult thing to overcome as well. But it's something where you have to speak truth into that constantly. Mental uh, mental health services are saying that, you know, the lessons that need to be taught at the beginning of life are, I am loved. I am lovable. I am valuable. And as Christians, we are perfectly positioned to teach that through our scriptures. And we can honestly tell them, you are loved. You are lovable. God has a plan for you and you are capable. And there's so much of a healing opportunity within that. Now, I'm sure that you're asking yourself, as Gilbert said just a few minutes ago, am I good enough? And I'm going to tag a few words on the end. Am I good enough to foster or adopt? No, you're not. It's just letting the line. You're not. Only God the Father 
can heal. We are not good enough. William's My Prayer Life has shot through the roof. And God has healed every step of our journey. And we've watched that. The Holy Spirit is there. And we have to keep asking him to take care of all those difficult situations. Just as Julie, a counsellor, has said she didn't know how to handle situation. That is when you call on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the support group later, which is another way that we can be praying together. So my prayer life has increased no end. And I'm going to finish with a short story of this week. And this is where I might be like Julie and Philip. So this week has been a very difficult week for me because this is our fourth year of coming here with the kids. But our little boy has had to transition up into the next level. This is a child who was not socialized at all. Never spoken to as a child, left at home, electronics, never taken outside. When he came to us, he couldn't climb the third rung of a ladder in a park. Okay? And he is really struggling this week with anxiety of moving up a level. So that was my second Bible study this morning. And I got to my first evening last night because I've been perched across the way with him. The scripture union team have been unreal. So, so good to him. But I also called on other help. Behind me, I had two people who are in a caravan just opposite that I met a couple of years ago. And they come here to New Horizon, Trevor and Sandra. They even texted me yesterday and said, Izzy, can we get you a cup of coffee and a great big dirty bun? (laughs) Because they knew I was sitting for three hours waiting with my wee man. Their practical help has been invaluable. I'll tell you another funny one. I was sharing it with Julie before I came up. So um, Sandra likes herbal things. And she gave him these little pastels. And he tried one yesterday. But there were tears. But he got through the second half really well. And then yesterday she gave me a little bottle of like a herbal, like a lavender oil. And she said, here, try that on him. She says, it works really well. So if you have any children who won't go to sleep, it actually is supposed to work. But she says it reduces their anxiety. So I showed it to him last night and I said, Sandra loves you so much that she'd like you to have this and to give it a wee go. And it's, it helps her kids. And we talked about them, one of her kids with special needs. And I said, so give it a wee go. So this morning he comes up to me in the awning and he puts his hand on my shoulder and goes, hey, and sometimes he calls me mum and sometimes he calls me Isabel and he says, hey ma, you feeling a bit anxious about this morning? I says, my, oh flip, I says, my heart's going to dinger, I wish Melini was here. I says, I am just so uptight about it. And he says, let me get the bottle. And he went and got it and he put it on. He even took my glasses off and put it in my temples. So I'm so chilled right now, it's unreal. So Trevor and Sandra, God is in the tiny detail and he put it on too and he walked in this morning tearless. Um, I'm going to talk about prayer support. So um, uh, good friends, I see Robin here and his wife Margaret have been texting. How's he getting on? How are you? Honestly. Francis has been on as well. Have your name written down, Francis. I didn't know you were going to be here. Francis and Colin have been praying. Prayer support is vital on this journey. And finally, I have Julie. And when I got in touch with Julie, Julie understood. And that's what Home for Good are here to do. It's to walk the journey with you. You're not alone. And to understand and to be praying and to be asking. I'm going to hand over to Julie again. Thank you. 
Um, one of the exciting things about this, um, like we said, is that God, that we have a part to play in it and that God gives us that part to play. And he has granted so much favor, I think, over the past um, few years about the doors that he is opening. It's him opening um, and the, the opportunities and who we're sitting around the table with are home for good. It's, it's, it's unbelievable and it can only come from God. And so just to quickly give a wee bit of an update as to what's happening um, in Northern Ireland. Um, at the minute. So in February, we had our first Stormont event, which was incredible. So there were over um, 100 young, there were not 100 young people, no. <laughs> uh, there were over 100 um, people that were there and they were MLAs, there were church leaders, adopters, adoptees, and, we, and, and Home for Good representatives. And the founder of Home for Good, Chris Kandaya, was there. And that was just such, it was, honestly, there was so much energy in the room. And there was, it was such a great space to connect and to actually go, here are the statistics of what's happening in Northern Ireland, but actually here are the stories and here are the people that need to hear the stories. And what was so exciting about that is that they see the church as a part of the answer and as a part of the solution. And we get to play in the roles of that, of what, how can we support, what is it that we can do and that's the part of the conversation that we get to be a part of which is amazing and just to be able to do that and it's so good to be able to have those further conversations and have those follow-up to be a part of writing legislation for children coming out of care is incredible to be able to shape that to be able to come with that foundation of knowledge of you are loved you are worthy and how can we ensure that children leaving care at the age of 16 know that they are not alone and in fact that they belong because surely that's where the whole emphasis of this is that they belong and that they know that they are loved we also have um We've partnered up as well with Bernardo's, which is really exciting. Um, so as we said, there's 200 foster cares that are needed in Northern Ireland. Um, and we are partnering with Bernardo's um, to focus on the Western Trust to see what we can do to recruit um, more foster cares there. And again, it's just lovely to be able to work in partnership um, with so many wonderful organisations in Northern Ireland that are already there and are already raising awareness for fostering and adoption. Um, we also have the foundation course, which is Home for Good, um, which ha- there's some leaflets on your on your chairs for. So the foundation course is amazing because it kind of gets to embed um, the biblical, our biblical story of God adopting us and our biblical adoption, along with personal stories of fosters and adopter cares, along with the, the question of um, what are we going to do about it? And it all beautifully intertwines this in a discussion group. We just finished it um, at our church and it's six weeks and there's videos and it's really interactive and it's very um, discussion based um, which is which is amazing. Um, we had 10 people that came along to it for the past six weeks. Not all were from um, a church or, or faith background um, and two people from that. One is actually in the middle of our fostering assessment um, and another one is beginning it in September. And another, and everyone else is kind of going, okay, so how are we going to support you? If you two are walking through this fostering and adoption process, what is it that we can do to ensure? Do you need a text message? Do you need a mail? Do you need um, just that practical support? Do you need to know who's a really good childminder? Do you really know what nurseries are in the area? That they're going to be there and on board and to be able to kind of um, help that. At the last week, we brought our social services um, in um, and said, okay, what's going on? What you have your finger on the pulse is what's happening with children children care, what is it we can do to be able to support that and have further conversations about, again, what that's going to look like. So it's just a really good way to kind of mull all that out, to, to come with whatever questions that you have um, and to have that really good. It's just such a 
fantastic catalyst and resource to have those discussions and conversations. Um, and I would wholeheartedly um, encourage anyone to engage with that. We also have um, removed which is something that I am particularly passionate about. So um, I don't know if anybody is familiar with it, but there was a play called Removed that was shown um, as a part of QFT Children's Film Week. And what it is, it's a playwriter called Finn, worked with, um, looked after children for three years, and she got the real account, the raw, the real the hard, the gritty, she got the stories and she amalgamated it all into one person. So it's a one-man play and you, it is about 40 minutes and you come away and it sits so heavy on you and you can't not be moved. It is powerful and it is real and it is relevant. And there was something about that that is home for good. We thought, we just can't, we just can't let this sit. We just can't have this fantastic resource that's here. We need to do something about it. So we contacted the production company and said, hey, just find it out there. But this is who we are. This is our heart. Um, have you ever thought about taking this on tour? Um, and as of yesterday, we have now been able to confirm tour so that the Remove the Play will be shown in every trust area throughout Northern Ireland um, come October. So I'm telling you that to keep an eye out if it's going to be in your area um, in October. Please go see it. It is raw. It is real. There is bad language. It is gritty. But it is unashamedly fantastic because it is actually the stories of what are happening with children and young people in Northern Ireland. There are also going to be followed up workshops with that, which are going to look at the key themes from that play. So it's going to look at, well, what is it like going to school, um, trying to get your homework in whenever you've came from a children's home and, and there's been fights breaking out left, right and centre. What does that look like? What about the language we use whenever we talk about lack and we talk, what is it you're lacking? What does that mean? What is that putting on a child? So about the language that we use, it brings about this sense of belonging. It's going to look at themes of um, if you're interested in fostering adoption. So there's loads of themes that are going to be taken out into workshops, which are going to allow those conversations to happen which is just incredible and it's tremendous the fact that Home for Good again get to kind of journey with that and be a part of those conversations I know nothing about the world of the play and the theatre and what this all means and there was a part when I was sitting around in those discussions going what am I doing here I don't know anything like but it's just mental and it's amazing and it just shows how much God um it just shows how much God really cares um, about these children and about these young people and that he wants us to be a part of it. We have something that's really exciting coming up in the Southern Trust, which Isabel um, is going to share about. And then we are going to just talk about how we connect for Home for Good um, and then we're going to bring it to a close. Um, we're going to have um, myself and Isabel and Helen, who's a part of the advisory board, are going to hang around here afterwards for the remaining 10, 15 minutes, just if there are um, any particular questions or anything that you have. So if Isabel just wants to come and share about the picnic. Okay, so... Uh, as I said earlier, we foster with the Southern Trust and we're really excited because the Southern Trust have invested very, very heavily as a result of Stormont in Home for Good. Uh, to the tune that hopefully we are intending to, as Home for Good, employ someone on a part-time basis to go out to churches and to talk about Home for Good and hopefully recruit foster carers, respite carers, kinship carers, people um, who will help out with this, uh, with caring for these children. 
Um, the other thing I want to tell you a little bit more about again is the support groups. So in the, lots of areas, support groups are beginning to pop up. And the support group that my husband and I run, we have a WhatsApp. And on the WhatsApp, people will put in those prayer requests when things are just getting a bit tough, either for the child or for ourselves or something has happened. Maybe there's a passport required and the parents won't sign the consent. Things like that do happen. And so we, we pray together about that. And then we meet up periodically. And so we've met up for picnics last year. We've met up and gone to the Home for Good Summit together. Uh, we've met up and went out for dinner. We even met up at Christmas and went to see that movie. Now, the name's left me. You know the movie about fostering? You know the couple who fostered? What was it called? Instant Family. Did any of you see it? Some of you are nodding. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. But I do warn you, don't go and see it with a foster carer. Because we sat in the back row of the cinema, there was a whole group of us, and we laughed out loud the whole way through. And other people looked horrified at the children's behaviour. We were going, yeah, they've done that to my house. And we were just, but it was so good because when we came out, we talked about God being in our journey. And they were struggling on their own. And they came up against opposition. And it was hard for them. And there were so many times where we were like, if God had been in that and could have helped them through that, it would have been so much more powerful again. And then we shared some of our own situations and what we needed to pray for for each other. Um, so the Home for Good support group also meets as well in somebody's house and we talk about what's going on. We usually start with what do we want to thank God for? And we finish with what do we need to ask God for? So we're praying for each other. And I can honestly tell you, the thank God conversation lasts twice as long as the please God. God is a God of healing and he wants to heal these children. We just have to be ready to serve. Then the um, other ways that you can help out in Home for Good, there are four strands. So there's advocacy work where you become involved in um, government policy and that. And if that's something which you're involved in, come and talk to us or something you'd like to be involved in. There's something that Julie and I are doing now, which is recruitment. Then there's support, which I've just spoken about, the support groups. And finally, we do have a very strong, obviously, biblical basis. And that's another area where you can volunteer. So if you're not in a position to foster or adopt today, but you want to get involved in helping these vulnerable children, there are four opportunities, as well as the practical ones that Julie has already talked about in supporting people who foster or adopt. And then finally, you will see a leaflet hopefully on your chair. I pinched a girl's at the back. And I thought nobody wanted it and I was giving it to somebody else. If you haven't got one, please come to the front and get it. Uh, there's a f leaflets, and the other thing I'd love to give you is the magazine. Okay, if you're interested, this is the magazine. I'm not sure if everybody has one of those as well. Melanie was in touch. I think she was in touch because her picture's on the back, truthfully. But don't let her know that. No, she's a gorgeous lady. And um, the Home for Good magazine this month, which is for all of the United Kingdom, also features the event which Julie spoke about in Stormont and talks about what's going on within Northern Ireland. And so we would love you to take that away with you. And the leaflet, which we had just um, produced for today, was a picnic, which is going to happen in a place called Balliard Castle. Balliard Castle is um, run by Drop-In Ministries. You've maybe heard of it. It's just outside Armagh. And in Balliard Castle, we have planned, instead of a summit this year, a picnic. It's going to be on the 7th of September, and it's going to be from half 
uh, 11 until half past two. And we've lots of activities planned, really fun activities. And so we'd love you to come along. Now, if you'd like to, just sign up on the website. And I only signed up two days ago, and I'm one of the ones who's organizing it. Like, it's a laugh, isn't it? But anyway, gives us a rough idea of how much ice cream the ice cream man has to bring. So come along, please. Do be aware, though, we will be with our families. And we need to be sensitive to confidential information and just to their needs. And they don't run about. You, you can't tell the difference between my kids and my foster kids. Honestly, you can't. So if the one misbehaving could actually be my birth child. Um, so just be aware of that as you go into conversation. But I know if you feel uh, that God's laying it in your heart to come along, he will have a reason for you being there. And there will be an opportunity for you to learn something more about fostering and adoption or connect with somebody that could support you through the journey. Um, and... Finally, there is a sign-up sheet. So we have, there's two ways to connect with us. One of the ways is nh19 at homeforgood.org.uk. And that really will um, allow you to say that you're interested in Home for Good. So if you want to get your phone out, uh, and also you will receive emails and information about Home for Good and what they're doing. Uh, if you want to consider further about adoption or fostering and you want to be part of a prayer group, well, then there's a Count Me In card as well, and that should be sitting on your seats too. And finally, there is a phone number on the back of the magazine. So if you want to know more about Home for Good and we haven't covered and a question just comes into your mind, there is a phone number there. If you want to give, there is information on the back of the Count Me In card. And, you know, we... Do appreciate giving if you're in a position to do that because obviously there is an expense incurred with Home for Good. Um, but we're just so thankful to God because every step of the way he has provided for us. Um, so any of that information, we have the God is Stranger book. We have the Home for Good book here as well if you're interested in that. So please come up. We don't have a table today. So if you want any of that, please come and see us at the end. Just before we maybe um, bring things to a close, um, I'm very conscious that um, for all of us sitting here, like I said at the very start, there was something that was in us that draw, drew us to this seminar and connected with us. And we're all going to be coming at it from different paths. We're all in different stages of life. And maybe if you just want to take two minutes um, and maybe have a conversation with the person beside you and just say if there's something maybe that you feel like that you need to explore or that you need to respond or something that really kind of connected with you with anything that was kind of said... Um, just before we bring things into close. So if you maybe want to have that conversation with the person beside you just for two minutes, just before we bring it to an end. I'm just quite conscious of time here, actually. Um, so I'm just going to bring it into a close. Um, so if you need to have those conversations carry on, that would be great. But thank you so much for, um, for myself and Isabel for um, listening and for being here today and being a part of it. If there's any questions, any comments, anything that we've said or any way you want to connect, please, please come. Myself and Isabel and Helen, who is on our advisory board, are going to be hanging around here for the next um, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so please come and speak to us. But thank you so much.